Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Nutrition basics for all runners is our topic today. Often runners want to dive straight into nutrition specific to their training. However, it's vital that everyday nutrition is optimal. So we'll be sharing our recommendations for ensuring your nutrition basics are consistently in place so you can get the best from your sports nutrition. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance and especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Welcome back. I'm Karen and I'm here with Aileen. How are you today, Aileen? Oh, I'm great. Thank you. Looking forward to having a nice chat. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. And as you can hear, everyone, I'm in the driving seat today. So I'm going to be the interviewer, so to speak. However, both Aileen and I will be sharing our expertise and our experiences throughout the episode. But just before we uh, delve into today's subject, as always, Aileen and I will share a little bit of something personal um, with you. So Aileen, as nutritional therapists, we do tend to practice what we preach. But I just wondered if you can remember a time when your nutrition was different and maybe how that influenced your running performance. Yeah, well, I'm sure I've probably shared this before many times, Karen, um, but for many years, you know that I did follow a very low carbohydrate food plan. And and I did that because it really helped with weight management. Uh, But what I found was it didn't really support endurance running. So often I'd be just too tired to run, you know, and I'd be out there thinking, why why am I feeling so tired? Why are my legs not moving? Um, So over in more recent years, I've, I've learned to adapt um, my food plan to include carbohydrates. And, um, and I do that by really controlling the portions of complex carbohydrates I have on an everyday basis. So I do include carbohydrates every day, which I never used to. And, uh, and also I've learned how to use the quick release carbohydrates for training runs. And it does really, really make a big difference with my energy levels when I'm out running. And I can just get up and go out for a run and I'm not like dragging my legs and wanting to give up. So uh, that's really, really helpful to me. And I, I, you know, I'm a great advocate for encouraging people not to be frightened of eating carbohydrates. I really understand why people are. Um, but to learn how to use them strategically has been uh, a big game changer for me, really, I would say. Um, what about you, Karen? Have you had any uh, challenges over the years? Yes, absolutely, Aileen. And like you, I think I've maybe discussed this a little bit in the past as well. But for me, it's definitely about my protein intake, uh, being vegetarian for many years since I was 15. So most of my life. And I do think as a vegetarian, it's it's easy to become um, your diet to become very carbohydrate heavy. And it certainly was for me when I reflect back and look at what my diet used to be like. Um, but then when I started to make the change and I could see the improvement in my overall strength and recovery, it made me realize just about the importance of protein. And, um, but I have to say that although I've made changes, it still has to be 
conscious. I have to think about my protein intake each day and think, okay, have I had, have I had enough protein today? What have I had that's protein today? And that's me as a vegetarian. So for some people, um, I'm aware that it must be, it must be in, incredibly difficult. And, and also I do tend to use a protein powder on occasion if I find that I'm struggling to take on board, especially if I've done a lot of exercise that day, then I will, um, use a protein powder now and again. Okay, so that's a little bit about us. And now we're going to move on to today's topic, which is all about the nutrition basics for all runners. And Aileen and I are always talking about the subject and the importance of everyday nutrition. We do truly believe that consistently putting the nutrition basics into place each day, every day, making it a habit, and especially for runners, is a great foundation for great health and um, well-being and energy which is all going to support our running so uh, we, th we really feel that it's it needs to be in place um, before applying sort of the the sports nutrition specific so having that foundational everyday basic nutrition healthy nutrition and then sort of building on that to um to sort of looking at nutrition specific to running will get the best results. If not, it is a bit like wallpapering before you've prepared the walls. So, um, so, so what, it, what is the finish going to be like if you haven't prepared the walls properly first? So I really like that analogy actually. So I just want to say that we do cover this wide ranging topic in detail on our online course, the Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners course. But today we're going to be sharing our thoughts on three important aspects of the nutrition basics for all running runners, which are the quality of food, plate balance, and also timing of meals and snacks. So Ailey over to you now. Can we start just by talking about why quality of food is important? Why do you think it's important? Yeah, well, I think most people understand it's important to choose the best quality foods um, and foods that are nutrient dense, and therefore you're going to get more nutrient nutritional benefit from your food. Um, and as runners, we often say you can't out train a poor diet and I think that is a really important thing because we you know we are super focused on all our training but if you've got a poor diet it's, it's just not going to work for you um so yeah that would be my my starting thoughts really about quality of food yeah absolutely then I totally agree you can't out train a poor diet is such a true saying and one that I use often with my clients actually um, and so just moving on, we hear the words quality food a lot, but what does that mean? How do you, how do you explain that to your clients? Well, when I start talking about the quality foods, I'm really encouraging people, first of all, to minimize the amount of processed foods they eat. Um, so by that, I'm meaning the sort of junk fast foods and the highly processed foods. So a good tip really is to read the label. And if the label reads like a scientific list, then it's probably not real food. Um, so that's the starting point. Um, and I always say that there's, there's a distinction uh, between processed and prepared foods. So you can buy healthy, fresh food that's prepared and assembled. Um, so the kind of thing that you might see in the supermarket, you know, you get maybe a chicken breast and it's marinated with some nice uh, real food ingredients and all you have to do is pop it in the oven to cook. So to me, that's prepared and that's fine. The processed food would be something, as I say, that's got all the different additives and extras, added extras that you don't want on the label. And, and I think to, for some people, buying prepared food is a really good time saver and um, it can be a healthy choice. Um, and also, I would say fresh foods are best. So if you're buying something fresh, it's not likely to have additives and preservatives, although, you know, as we know, some of them do. So again, it's worth looking at the label and really knowing where your food comes from. Mm, yeah. Can I just come in there, Aileen? Um, I would really agree um, that fresh is best. But I was just wondering, what are your thoughts on frozen foods? Do you Do you think they're a good practical option as well? Yeah, I think some frozen foods can be great uh, if they're real. Um, so again, it's 
sticking to the real foods that are frozen rather than the processed fro- um, sort of frozen products that you get, uh, you know, that might be ready meals or, you know, they've, they've been made in a factory, basically. Mm. Um, whereas I think fruit and vegetables are usually great, you know, so you can get some really good fruit and vegetables. And often they're very nu- nutritious because they've been picked at their peak and they've been frozen at the peak and really looked after and and I you know I have quite a few in my freezer that are great additions to um you know my meal plan so they're really useful to have in in stock um I think um it's great to um you know think about where your food's coming from um so if you think about things like um you know are you, is your food seasonal is your food regional and local? Um, so often you you get cheaper, tastier food that's been grown locally, and and you're saving on food miles. So if you're you know ethically inclined and and you're interested in the environment, that might be something that's important to you. Um, also, you know I'm I'm thinking about organic food as well. You know, so it, it's important to um, think about can you eat organic. Um, and can't you know maybe not 100 percent, but the more you can add it into your food plan the better so the types of things that i'd be looking at suggesting there would be um you know checking where is your meat grass fed are you avoiding farm fish food um you know so that it's not pumped full of antibiotics that kind of thing making sure you know where your eggs come from so really knowing the provenance of your food where it was grown how it was caught or raised uh, knowing how it was produced, how it was transported, all of those things uh, sort of add up to a healthy food. Um, and you can be assured that your food is of, of the greatest quality. And I, I was chatting to a client recently who was very um, oriented towards food ethics. Uh, and it, it was really almost getting in the way of him making the right choices because he had all these different things to weigh up all the time about where he was buying things and whether it was the right thing to do. Uh, and the advice I gave him was, you know, if you choose really good suppliers, you can be assured that they've actually ticked all of those boxes mm-hmm. because they're buying from the best suppliers. So that's another uh, easy tip, you know, choose a good supplier, um, a good a good supermarket, a good health food shop, a good local supplier as well. And, and you might find then that you don't have to do all the checking yourself because, you know, they're already choosing the best suppliers for you mm, really good mm. i like that idea actually it takes the pressure off and that time saving that you were speaking about alien it's really good for that yeah yeah mm. so so what about you karen do you have any tips on choosing good quality foods yeah well were you speaking about organic there alien and we're always suggesting that people buy organic as much as possible everything if possible but you know that is realistic unrealistic for most people including myself you know there's not everything I can I would love to but I just can't afford to buy absolutely everything organic so I tend to recommend the dirty dozen clean 15 concept for fruit and vegetables so and and if you just Google that that phrase, dirty dozen, clean 15, it can bring up a plethora of visuals showing the sort of the key fruits and vegetables to consider buying organic. And then the others that it would be OK to have them if they're not organic, maybe because they've got thick skins, you've got to peel them before you get to the fruit in the inside. So I do tend to use that concept um, quite a lot. Um, with the likes of meats and fish, I tend to suggest to my clients that they maybe buy less of it, but just better quality, better cuts, more organic. And that's also really good for encouraging clients to start introducing more of a plant-based diet as well. Not that I'm trying to convert them, but just sort of introducing more meat-free days and things. So buying quality meats and fish, but just having it less regularly. So that would be my approach. Um, so, so Aileen, looking at this concept and, and looking at quality of food, what about the female factors? Are, are there any considerations w- women should be thinking about here? Yeah, there are quite a few female factors, actually. And um, I think one of the most important angles to consider is um, how your food might be affecting your uh, toxic load and your hormonal balance. 
Um, so there is um, quite a lot of toxic load in foods from things like processed foods, packaging that foods in, pesticides maybe that have been used in the farming of foods and chemicals. And I, I think I mentioned something earlier on in the conversation about sometimes, you know, we, we hear about food, maybe particularly animal proteins might have been injected with hormones or, or you know, things that we don't necessarily want. Uh, and sometimes it's in their food chain as well. So it gets into our food just through the food that the animals are eating. Um, so, you know, it costs, crosses a broad spectrum of foods, animal foods and plant foods. But what can happen with these um, chemicals from all of these different um, areas is that um, they can start affecting our endocrine system, which is basically the the system that manages all of our hormones. So um, that they act as the technical term is an endocrine disruptor. And they're a category of chemicals that alter the normal function of our hormones. Um, so that when they get into our bodies, they've got the ability to mimic our natural hormones. So they're, they're sort of like pretenders in a way. They're pretending to be hormones. And they have the ability to either block um, our hormones from being used or they bind to our hormone receptors and start acting in a, an inappropriate way, <laughs> maybe a, a way of describing it. Um, so it's a huge area. So I'm just going to, I just thought I'd maybe talk to you about one area um, um, which people may have heard of, um, and that's the xenoestrogens. So these xenoestrogens are a subcategory of these endocrine disruptors, um, and they specifically have estrogen-like effects. So everybody will know that estrogen is the, the, the major female hormone that we have. Um, men have it too, but maybe not in as, uh, as an abundance as, as females do. And it's important for bone growth, it's important for blood clotting, and it's very important for the female and male hormones. Um, but when these xenoestrogens enter the body, they increase the amount of estrogen and that can result in something called estrogen dominance, which again might be a term people have heard of. And estrogen dominance basically means you've, you've got more estrogen than you need. Um, that can start causing disruptive um, things happening to our bodies. So, you know, you can get disruptive menstrual cycle. Um, it can cause um, fertility issues. It can cause heavy periods. Um, you might find that there's uh, things like fibroids grow and that kind of thing. So it can be really disruptive. Um, the thing about xenoestrogens is they are not biodegradable. So when we've got an excess of them, they get stored in our fat cells. Um, and they're stored there, I, I think, mainly because they're toxic and the fat cells almost protect the toxicity. Um, so it sort of helps keep us in balance. But then, you know, we've just got this too many estrogens uh, building up. Um, and as I said earlier, they're indicated in many female conditions. Um, so I've mentioned a few already, but some others are popping into my head, like the cancer-related um, female cancers, you know, things like breast cancer and um, uterine cancer and things like that. Uh, it can also be related to obesity. Um, endometriosis, uh, and also it can be disruptive for younger women. So, you know, even children going into, um, sort of an early onset puberty, which I think there's, you know, a bit of a prevalence of that these days. So I, I'm not an expert in that particular area, but you do hear about a lot of young girls going into puberty earlier. And, and it, you know, it probably is because of these xenoestrogens getting into their system, um, when they shouldn't be there. So it's quite a serious issue and it, it does sound a bit heavy. It doesn't have to be too heavy. All, all you have to really do is think about what food you're eating and try to minimize what, you, what you're doing. Yeah, like you say, Aileen, it is a huge and complex um, uh, subject, really, with real rippling effects when it comes to, to health and well-being. And it sounds as though really, and we know that we're surrounded by these toxins and sometimes it's, it can be difficult to, to minimize it. But just looking at that, you were saying about choosing the food that you eat. What are some of your tips for minimizing some of the toxins in our food? 
Yeah, well, I think the important thing is to remember you can't avoid these toxins completely. You know, we live in a, a toxic world, unfortunately. There's a lot of chemicals just in the environment, so you can't avoid them completely. But you can do the best that you can do. And that's what I always explain to clients. It's like, you know, you do the best that you can do. And then the other external um, toxins that you're not in control of aren't going to have such a negative effect. Um, so the, when we're thinking about food, it's, it's buying and choosing the food in the way that we've already discussed. So knowing that they come from good sources, knowing what's in your food is a good start. Um, choosing the way that your food is, is sold to you. So how it's packaged. Um, and also then when you've got the food in your, in your home, thinking about what can you do to, um, get rid of any additional toxins. So particularly you were talking about the dirty dozen there. So that's a really great resource for people to look at. Um, so, you know, they'll, as you said, they'll highlight the, the foods that are the most at risk, but it doesn't mean you don't have to have those foods. It's just, you've got to be super careful with them. So buy them from reputable suppliers um, and wash, wash them, you know, so often washing fruit and vegetables and then considering whether you should be peeling the non-organic fruit and vegetables can also help. So, you know, normally I'm telling people to eat things with the peels on because that's where a lot of the nutritional value is. But maybe for some foods, you've got to adapt and change a little bit and think about um, peeling and, and, and washing. And then, as I said earlier, just always be focusing on buying packaging free and storing and cooking your food away from plastic will, will really help. Mm, great. Some great tips there, Aileen. So before we move on, have you got any final other tips on the quality of food that people choose? Yeah, well, I think, you know, moving on from the, the preparation side of food, just thinking about how you store and food and cook your food will have an effect on the nutritional quality. Um, so we do cover this quite a bit in the online program, um, that we talked about earlier, the easy, uh, easy nutrition for healthy runners. And, and it's all about finding practical ways of, um, helping you prepare your food so that it's it's healthiest best but also the quickest and easiest way for you to do it um but i suppose if you just think about um you know how you cook your food um heat destroys nutritional value so if you cook your food at high temperatures you're not going to be doing it the best for it so my sort of general advice would be to cook things gently at a low temperature that would be ideal and just avoid um, high browning and charring of foods. And again, you know, that might, you know, I know people like that type of taste that you get from food. So just minimize it. Just don't do it all the time. You know, the fewer amounts of time you do it, the less uh, damage it's going to be doing to your food. So, you know, it's, uh, we talk about the 80 20 rule a lot with new, with nutrition. So I think you can apply that there as well. So doing things like barbecue maybe once a month is okay, but just not every day. Yeah. Great. Some great tips there, Aileen. You've given people lots to think about when they next go shopping. Um, what I think I would just like to mention here as well, actually, is, is the, the, the impact that intense and endurance exercise can have. It, it's known to add to the toxic load as well due to these endogenous, so, so internal oxidants and free radicals that, that exercise naturally produces. And what I mean by free radicals are unstable molecules that, um, are known to, to damage cells and intense exercise, uh, endurance exercise plus the toxins you've been speaking about can, can result in this. And, and regarding the, the exercise, the body does produce antioxidants to try and support and deal with the the oxidants produced so it produces antioxidants to deal with that but if the diet's poor and already causing a toxic overwhelm it could be that the exercise is just adding to that load so it's really about supporting our bodies through our food like you're speaking about Aileen but also thinking about how that relates to our running and our exercise as well. But just going back to what what we've been discussing, um, I, I would say that what the main point to remember is from what Aileen's been speaking about is that you don't want your meals to be empty when it comes to 
the nutritional value of the food. You want it to be really nutrient dense, not nutrient empty. And also it's just thinking about and minimizing as much as you can the hidden toxins in your food, as well as not overcooking your foods, because clearly, like you've been saying, Aileen, that can that can have a huge effect as well. So what we're going to do now is just move on to the second point that we wanted to discuss, Aileen, which was about plate balance. Um why why is plate balance? Uh, one of the key foundations of nutrient basics? Well, I think plate balance is really a simple, easy concept to apply to every meal. And it's often where I start when I have a new client. Um, so the purpose of plate balance is to help people get the right balance of macronutrients, so protein, carbohydrate and fat, as well as the right balance of vegetables and, and salads too. Um, so for everyday nutrition, we, we, we would suggest, and that's not just us suggesting, I think all nutritional professionals in general would suggest this. Um, but a starting point would be to think about your plate consisting of a quarter of a plate of protein, a quarter of a plate of low GL carbohydrates, and half a plate of non-root vegetables and salads. Um, and, including a small accompaniment of healthy fats on the plate. Um, so that these healthy fats might actually be a constituent of your protein food, um, or it could be the fat that you've cooked your food in. So not a lot of fat, but just a small amount. Okay, so it's a great concept. And I've got quite a few questions here for you about this. Uh, firstly, could you explain why those particular proportions are important? Yeah, well, the proportions are really there to help people manage uh, portion sizes and blood sugar balance. So I usually suggest to people that they start using a, a nine to 10 inch dinner plate uh, for their main meals. And then also thinking about what a quarter looks like. So because, you know, you do get people that can make a a plate into a pyramid of food so it can be rather a lot of food so you have to be um, you have to explain explicitly what that means and um, so a quarter of a plate of protein uh, could equate into um, a, a protein portion being the size of the palm of your hand um, and the carbohydrate uh, portion I would equate to being the size of a, a cleansed fish uh, Fist, God, that's a tongue twister. Yes. Uh, <laughs> clenching your fist. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, so if you think about the palm of your hand as being the size of a protein and a clenched fist as being the size of the carbohydrate. Um, and I, another thing that I would mention to people is that everybody's a different size. So my hand is smaller than a big man and it's bigger than a small child. So everybody's plate size needs to be adapted to their physicality. And I think that that's something maybe in families, you know, everybody gets served the same portion and maybe they don't need the same portion. So that's a, a thought um, for everyone. Uh, and also the other tip um, that I use quite a lot with clients is using an American cup measure. Um, so if anybody's... Um, a baker, they probably have heard of the American cup measures, a little uh, different size cups. You get a full cup, a half cup, a third cup, a quarter cup, and you measure ingredients out. But I think it's a really great way of measuring out carbohydrates. Um, so depending on the size of a person and what their goals are, I would, I would guide them to use those uh, cup measures because they're, they're really, really helpful. Yeah, that's really great, Elaine, and that all makes sense now that you've, you've explained sort of the the proportions of each of the the different carbs and proteins and things. And I really like the use of the hand to estimate portion size. I think that's a concept that everybody would be able to understand and and put into to place really easily. In fact, it's a concept I, I could start using with my clients. I don't tend to use that. I tend to use the American cup measure that you've been speaking about or just the grams and sort of looking at either from a cooked or an uncooked um, point of view. So um, I really like that that hand size and, and, and it does work with with different weights, different sizes of people because everybody's hands different. So I really like that. Okay, so so just moving on to my second question, can you just explain what you mean by low GL carbohydrates? 
Yeah. So low GL uh, basically means low glycemic uh, load carbohydrates. So these carbohydrates tend to be the complex carbohydrates. So they're the ones that aren't refined. And you, if, if you think of refined food as being the highly white, it's the white food. So it's the white flours and the white sugars. So the, the opposite side of that, the complex carbohydrates are the ones that haven't been refined. So they tend to take a bit longer to digest. And so the glucose, um, from the, the carbohydrates. So basically when you eat, eat a carbohydrate food, your digestive system breaks it down into glucose. And if it's a complex carbohydrate, it, it just enters the bloodstream more slowly. And that means our blood sugar is balanced, more, it's more regulated. And so there aren't so many highs and lows of, of blood sugar. Um, so examples, some examples of low GL um, carbohydrates, as I said, are the whole grains. So things like um, whole grain rice, um, bread, whole wheat pasta, and also fruits that are low in sugar. So things like berries and orchard fruits like apples and pears. And then on the the examples of the higher um, glycemic load carbohydrates, are the white foods, so the white carbohydrates, the white bread, the white rice, the white pasta, um, all the sugary foods, and thinking about tropical fruits and root vegetables. So I find people often get mixed up here when when I'm helping them work out what uh, what to put on the plate, and fruit and vegetables is often one of them. Um, because we all love fruits and, uh, we've got an abundance of different varieties available. And again, it's like not that you can't eat the high sugar fruits. It's just you eat smaller quantities of them. Um, and with root, root vegetables, particularly in the UK, you know, we love our potatoes and sweet potatoes and beetroot and parsnips and all of the carrots, all of those things we love. Um, but they actually do have quite a lot of carbohydrate in them. Um, so if you are eating them, you need to put them on your quarter of a carbohydrate plate um, rather than the, uh, the side of the plate that has half the vegetables because they should be the non-root vegetables. Does that, does that make sense, Karen? Yeah, it does, Eileen. And I was just thinking about, okay, so how can I just kind of simplify that for people? So, so what you're saying is switching from white to brown or all whole grains, as you were suggesting, Aileen, mm. and maybe choosing the homegrown fruits um, would be a simple way of thinking about it. But also looking at it from the vegetable point of view, it's sort of eating more of the vegetables that grow above the ground and the ones that, that grow below the ground, having that as part of that carbohydrate palm size that you were speaking about earlier. Would that be, would you agree with that, yeah, Aileen? That's- yeah, that's a great way of explaining. I like the above and below ground yeah. idea. Yes. Yeah, excellent. Okay, so so another question for you. Can you explain how the plate balance helps to support or manage blood sugar balance and why that's important? Yeah, well, well, first of all, if you control the portion of the low GL carbohydrate, so you control it to the quarter of plate, that means that you're going to be eating enough carbohydrates for immediate requirements. So not too much, not too little. And um, what can happen is if you overeat or undereat carbohydrate, there's a potential for what I call a blood sugar roller coaster. And I'm sure lots of other people have heard that description and that's where you get highs and lows of of glucose in your bloodstream. Um, The other part of the plate balance which helps is the protein element of the plate. So, you know, as we're always saying, every food's got lots of different functions. So protein, you know, we usually think of as building muscle and uh, repairing um, cells and everything in the body. But with regards to blood sugar management, the protein element is there to help slow down the absorption of glucose into the bloodstream. Um, and so if you have the protein element, you just find, you tend to find that um, you're fuller for longer and you've got a nice even energy level. And that's because this glucose is just being slowed down slightly because you're eating carbohydrate and protein together. Um, so with blood sugar balance, it's really important to um, have it in balance because it helps us avoid having energy dips. It helps um, avoid weight gain. Um, it also has um, 
promotes um, clarity of mind so you don't have that brain fog that sometimes people have. Um, and it also is very good to sort of underpin things like hormonal imbalance. Um, it will help protect against more serious conditions like type 2 diabetes and metabolic conditions such as um, high blood pressure and cardiovascular disease. Um, so if, if you think about all those negative things and then flip it, the positive side of blood sugar balance is that you um, you get really even levels of energy. So you don't get those dips. So you don't have that slump that means you can't do anything mid-morning or mid-afternoon. You, you just feel on an even keel all day. Um, it can support body composition and obviously, well, not obviously, but it, it can help people manage their weight. And it might be the starting point for um, losing weight if, if you've got weight to lose. Um, you have a clear mind. Your hormones are balanced. So sometimes people find that when they're following a blood sugar management plan, suddenly their periods don't, aren't as painful and things like that can happen. So it's quite, um, you know, it has wide ranging effects for such a simple concept. Um, and I always remember, you know, back to being a student um, and doing some revision one summer. And I had all these different revision notes of, of all these different um, health conditions and I suddenly had this aha moment when I realized that blood sugar balance um, was in, involved in just about, oh God, you know, 80% of health conditions. And I was like, wow, you know, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Uh, and I sort of made that connection. So it's, it's, um, it's definitely something that I would advocate people to uh, take on board. Yeah, absolutely, Alien. Like you say, it's involved in so many potential um, symptoms that people put up with quite a lot and just think, oh, well, it's the way mm. I am, but also can lead to some really key conditions um, that you've, and you've mentioned some of them. But just by thinking about blood sugar balance and, and if you can manage to keep that in balance, it could help prevent a lot of these potential health conditions. So a great simple way of putting it, Aileen. I really like that. So, so finally, on, on this area of plate balance, can you just say a little bit about what the role of the half plate of non-root vegetables and salads have in nutrition basics? Yeah, well, eating half a plate of vegetables and salads um, over the course of your two to three meals a day um, will give you um, the recommended seven to nine portions of, of vegetables a day. Um, so people may be aware of that. I know different um, health uh, advisors recommend different amounts, but I think it mostly people are looking for seven to nine portions a day. So half a plate will get you that. Um, but also if you um, take it a little bit further and think about eating a rainbow of colors and a wider variety of vegetables, um, that's going to really support your immune health and your digestive health. Um, so just by having the, the rainbow of colors and the variety means that you're going to get lots of different phytonutrients through your uh, vegetables. And that's really going to give your immune system all the nutrients it needs to work optimally. Uh, and also from a digestive health point of view, people might know about their gut microbiome and all the different bacteria that lives there. And again, uh, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that if you have something like up to 30 different types of vegetables a week, that's going to promote a really healthy um, gut microbiome. So, um, so yeah, if you focus on the half a plate, get your colours in, get lots of variety there. Um, again, it's a big tick in the box from a basic health perspective. Mm. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that, Alien. Sort of that, that optimal everyday nutrition is crucial for supporting all aspects really of, of general health. So just to summarize what you've just told us, Aileen, what you're saying is a balanced plate is one focusing on the macronutrients. So the proteins, fats and, um, uh, carbohydrates and the micronutrients, which is the vitamins and the merit minerals. And it's the quality and portion size of each food group that's important in maintaining this and maintaining this consistency day in, day out 
is going to support that optimal health that we're hoping to get those basics in every day, optimal health before then moving into nutrition specific for sport. Um, and like I said at the beginning, we talk about all of this on our online course, the easy nutrition for healthy runners, which leads me nicely into our advert break. Yes, Karen. So uh, this is the part of the episode where I tell you a little bit about uh, Runners Health Hub. So Runners Health Hub is where Karen and I offer a range of services to help you be a fitter, faster, stronger runner. Um, so we, we'd love you to hop onto our website and take a look at the Runners Nutrition Zone. And that's where we host the online program that Karen's just mentioned. Um, so we, we designed that program really to help you put all of these nutrition basics into place. Um, cause often we find that, uh, with people that we work with, they, they understand the, um, you know, the education we're giving them and they, they want to take it on board, but actually putting it in place is a little bit more challenging. So we've put together, um, a, a number of short videos and recipes and there are downloads uh, that you can use uh, and we teach you um, in every short video they're usually about 15 minutes a new concept and a new way of applying something so if you work your way through the 14 or 15 videos um, at, at your own pace you can put everything into place and the other thing is that you you get a lot of you get an opportunity to ask us questions too so part of the uh, runner's nutrition zone is an opportunity to uh, post your questions with us to attend live sessions uh, where we, we teach some of these practices in person and you get an opportunity to ask questions um, so we'd love you to check us out and you can find all the details at the runnershealthhub.com that's runnershealthhub.com so i uh, hope to see you there Okay, thanks, Aileen. So moving on to our final aspect of this episode, sort of looking at timing of meals and snacks. Why do you feel this is really important? Yeah, well, this really feeds into the blood sugar management and energy production um, aspects of health. And we've already talked about getting the portion sizes in balancing and the accompanying step to all of this is to eat regularly at set times in at set times um, and intervals throughout the day. Um, and that's really to support the blood sugar management that we've talked about and minimize all those symptoms of low energy, the weight control, uh, hormonal imbalance. Um, so it, it's all about thinking about the timing of your meals and snacks. Okay. So, so what, what are the timings? What timings would you suggest? Yeah, well, it, this is uh, where that some personalization comes in really, Karen. So, um, often clients come to me in at, at different stages. So there might be some clients that don't have any routine to their eating. Uh, they might be missing meals. They might be going for long periods of not eating or maybe the, the type of person that's grazing all day. Um, so, it's likely that their blood sugar is going to be imbalanced and just because they're, they're not following any set pattern. So if, that, if that's the case, usually we start with thinking about having three meals a day, evenly spaced out, maybe four to five hours apart. And if they've got a grazing habit, sometimes I'll add in a small protein-based snack in between meals. And I sort of describe it as being a bit of a, it's a training wheel. It's like, let's get you back on an even keel in balance. And then we'll adapt that plan as we go forward. Um, so sometimes people's lifestyle gets in the way. You know, I'm sure, you, you know, you experience this as well, Karen. You know, if, if you're, if you have a client who has got, um, you know, they've got a long commute, they may be going to meetings during the day, they don't know when they're going to get home. It can be quite challenging for them to stick to a schedule. Um, so that's where we, we have to sort of personalize it a bit. Um, and we might have to add a snack in at different times to bridge the gap. You know, so if you've had your lunch at, say, one o'clock and you might not be getting dinner till eight o'clock, you're not going to be able to hit that four to five hour uh, interval that I was talking about. So we might add in a snack maybe at four or five o'clock to bridge the gap and that helps them 
keep on an even keel. Um, the, the, the challenges is if they don't follow that kind of um, using that snack strategically, that's when you get all of the, the symptoms that we were talking about earlier and, you you know, things start happening. You get cravings for food. You maybe overeat when you get home. Um, you, you start feeling the energy dips, uh, the foggy brain, all of that sort of stuff. So that's um, that's why we suggest these sort of timings as a starting point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking, Aileen, that although – I have a different client base, client base that eating patterns can be really similar to what you've just said. You know, that long time between meals, grazing rather than eating at particular intervals. Um, and then adding to that, potentially that overeating or undereating, which in fact, you spoke about it earlier, uh, uh, can, can then lead to that blood sugar imbalance. Yeah. Yeah, and it is uh, it is very tricky for people, but it can be done. You know, there's uh, everybody's got different lifestyles. There's always something you can do to adapt it to help. And we do talk about that in the um, the online program as well. We talk about creating your different days. You know, so we none of us really, apart from in lockdown, which we're going through at the moment. Most of us have got a routine at the moment. But when we're not, you know, when we're out and about doing our daily business whatever it might be going to work taking kids to school all that sort of thing it's difficult to have a routine and sometimes you can create different routines for different days which can be which can be helpful um but yeah i think to really focus on it is is the the important thing is you've got to get your blood sugar balance on an even keel and ultimately we're aiming for five meals between meals and no snacking uh, that would be the ideal situation. Um, and also, I, I try to get people into the habit of having a minimum of 12 hours between eating dinner and breakfast. Um, and this is a sort of, this is foundational. And obviously, we amend it in time to suit other health or running requirements. Because I, I can imagine people are listening to this thinking, well, that's not going to suit me when I need to go out on my big run. But what you've got to think about this is just the foundational everyday stuff. And we would look at adjusting these nutrition basics um, and adding in the athlete's plates, which again is another aspect of the online program. Um, we, we have different athletes plates. So depending on what distances and endurance running you're doing, we would suggest you adapting your plates to, to suit that. So you, you switch between plates and then that would be helpful to, uh, make sure you're getting the, the right nutrients for, for your training. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Alien. And that's exactly how I work with my clients as well. You know, that foundational everyday nutrition needs to become a habit with them first. And this is the tricky bit, getting them to sort of go back to the basics because they want to know all about how their how their nutrition, how they can eat for their actual training. It's like, well, hang on, let's pull back the reins a bit. Let's make sure that you're eating um in a healthy way every day and that's a habit and then we'll start to look at the the specifics for your for your running training so so it's it's getting the basics and then building on those basics and using the food strategically after that to support um to support the running so we're, we're kind of approaching the end dealing so i just want to round up what what you've been saying so so what you said here is that the timing of food intake is key for blood sugar balance and blood sugar balance is key for optimal everyday health, energy and vitality. So it's all interconnected. And and sort of you discuss and, and speak about having three meals per day with no snacking being the ideal and that 12 hours of no eating between dinner and breakfast. And that's sort of, like I say, the ideal that we're striving for. But how long this takes will vary from person to person. That's why it's really important, really, to to to, to work with um, a qualified nutritional therapist like ourselves. Um, and remember that that if you if this is an area that you do struggle with and you feel it may be hampering your your running performance, then Runners Health Hub does offer a one to one consultation, um, and that could help support you on your journey to that optimal health, energy, vitality, and ultimately increased performance. 
Okay, Aileen, so just before we finish, as always, could you just give us your key takeaways on the subject of nutrition basics for all runners? Yeah, sure, Karen. So the first thing is to think about quality of food, and that's all about minimizing the processed and junk foods, uh, buying fresh, seasonal, local and organic where possible, and minimizing exposure to pesticides, chemicals, additives, and packaging of your food. And then thinking about plate balance, remember the basic formula is a quarter of a plate of protein, quarter of a plate of low GL carbohydrate, half a plate of non-root vegetables. So the um, the vegetables that grow above the ground, as Karen mentioned, um, remember to eat a rainbow and have a wide variety of different foods and also adjust the portion sizes to suit your physique and size. Um, moving on to timing of meals and snacks. So it's eating regularly, having your meals evenly spaced. So ideally five hours apart, avoid grazing and have 12 hours of no eating between dinner and breakfast and use protein based snacks strategically if required. Uh, most important, be consistent in your habits and food plans. So every day and get your nutrition basics in place and then start to adjust your food plan to meet your training and race requirements. So that's my my roundup for today, Karen. Great. Thank you, Aileen. And great to talk to you, as always, about this foundational topic. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases. Mm -hmm.